So let's read Luke's account of the crucifixion from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. We're beginning in verse 32, please. Luke 23 and verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, or we would say mocked him and verbally abused him. I suppose that's how you would describe it, verbal abuse. Saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. Amen. And the Lord will bless the public reading of his word to our hearts this morning. We're coming to the final message today in our series about the Calvary miracles. So this is the fifth message 
And we want to round it off today on Easter Sunday. At the very beginning of the series, we thought about how the Lord Jesus Christ reached up and touched the sun. Uh, Now, we're talking metaphorically, of course. We're not saying that he literally reached out from the cross. How could he? He was nailed to the cross. But we mean in a metaphorical sense. He reached up and touched the sun. He displayed his power over creation and At midday the darkness came down, the darkness descended and the light of the sun disappeared because Christ had switched off the light. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is in control of creation. He's in control of this universe. He's in control of our solar system. He controls the weather. He controls the climate. That's why you shouldn't, by the way, you shouldn't pay any attention to all the nonsense about net zero. You know, net zero by 2050. And now the United Nations are trying to get the the countries of the world to bring it back to 2040. Well, forget about it. Don't worry about it. The one we worship today who has risen from the dead controls the CO2. He controls the climate. He controls everything in this universe. It was Albert Einstein who said, there's not an atom can move anywhere in the universe without the permission of Jesus Christ. So he's the one who reached up and touched the sun. And then he reached over and he touched the temple. Because you see, he's the one who is the temple. He said that he said to the religious leaders, destroy this temple, meaning his body, and in three days I will raise it up again. You see, Solomon's temple was a beautiful structure. Herod's temple was another beautiful structure, but the most beautiful temple of all was the body that our Savior inhabited for 33 years on this earth. What a temple it was. The Holy Spirit dwelt within him and he came to the cross after living a perfect life and he laid down his life at the cross and the veil of the temple in Jerusalem was torn but his body was torn on the cross and that holy body, that sinless body was pierced and wounded for our transgressions and for for our iniquities and we'll say more about that tonight, the piercing Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reached up and touched the sun. He reached over and touched the temple. He reached down and touched the rocks. Because there was an earthquake. That was another miracle at Calvary. The earthquake that took place. And then the last time. Last Sunday evening. We thought about how he reached in and touched the dead. He reached in and touched the dead. He raised those who were dead from the grave. Today, I I want us to think about how he reached out and touched the centurion's heart. He reached out and touched the centurion's heart. And this man was converted. It's wonderful whenever the Lord Jesus touches a man or a woman's heart. The problem today is that there's very few people that the gospel message gets to their hearts. Most people know it up here in the head. But it doesn't seem to move 18 inches down to the heart, to the real person. 
But whenever the Lord Jesus Christ wins a man's heart, then that man or that woman will follow him for the rest of their days. It won't be, a, it won't be they won't live a perfect life. There'll be times they'll stumble. They, they won't follow as quickly as they should, but they will follow when Christ reaches out and touches the heart. The hymn writer said, that man of Calvary has won my heart from me and died to set me free, blessed man of Calvary. Samuel Rutherford, the great Scottish covenanter, said, Jesus Christ hath won my heart and run away to heaven with it. Jesus Christ has won my heart and, and run away to heaven with it. You see, that's why we love him. That's why we live for him. Some people say we're, we're too, we take it all too seriously. We're a bit over the top. You know, people say, oh, there he is again. Too heavenly minded to be any earthly use. He takes this salvation business a bit seriously. I mean, he goes to church twice on a Sunday. He goes to all the prayer meetings that he can go to. He's always trying to reach people with the gospel. He's a wee bit over the top. Or she's a wee bit over the top. Well, don't worry. When you stand before Christ, he's not going to say to you, oh, you were a bit over the top. You followed me a bit too Zealously, You took it all a bit too seriously and not say that. So you, as I said on Thursday night at the prayer meeting, you don't have to worry who is against you and who, who opposes you because you'll not answer to anyone else. You'll only answer to Jesus Christ. Oh, thank God for the conversion of the centurion. That's what we want to think about today in the remainder of the service. And this is the greatest miracle the greatest miracle out of the five miracles that we have looked at. Oh, the touching of the sun was a mighty miracle. The touching of the temple, the rocks, the dead. But this is the greatest miracle of all here. The miracle of conversion. You see, think for a moment about all the things that were against this centurion. You see, there were, there were people gathered around the, the cross. They, they were a kind of rabble, we could call them. A rabble at the cross. And the rabble, they mocked Christ. So the centurion, he was there and he would have heard the rabble of people as they jeered and taunted the Savior. And you would have thought that would have put him off. And he would have said, well, yes, this chap on the middle cross... He must be barmy. He must be a, a sandwich short of a picnic, as we would say. He, he's, he's not right in the head. You'd have thought the centurion would have listened to the rabble, but he didn't. Don't you listen to the rabble today. A lot of people could and would put you off salvation. The crowd, the majority, despising the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you don't believe in him, do you? You don't believe in all that Easter nonsense about a death and a cross and a resurrection, do you? <laughs> well, if you've any sense, you will. And don't listen to the rabble who mock him because there's mockers still today. Oh, the rabbis were at the cross. The rabbis, the religious leaders. 
the ones who conspired to bring about his death, they were behind his death. Oh, some people say, oh, it was the Romans that killed him. It was the Jewish religious leaders who persuaded the people to vote for Barabbas. And the soldiers were just, were just carrying out orders. The rabble was at the cross. The rabbis were there and the robbers were there too. The robbers, the two thieves. And they railed on Christ, the Bible says. They mocked him. They jested at him. And you'd have thought the centurion would have listened to the rabble and the rabbis and the robbers. But he didn't because the Holy Spirit was working in his life. And that's what made the difference. And the Holy Spirit convinced this centurion of the truth of what Christ said and what Christ claimed to be. In spite of the rabble, in spite of the rabbis, in spite of the robbers, this Roman believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that day at Calvary and he was saved. What a miracle. I want to, to think today, I want us to sort of consider and to, to try to work out what was it that the Holy Spirit used to convince the centurion? What was it that convinced him? I believe it's two things. You can sum it up in two things. First of all, what he saw. What the centurion saw. And then secondly, what he heard. What he heard. First of all, what he saw. The centurion saw creation's protest. Creation's protest. Matthew 27 verse 54 says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Here are these men. Hardened soldiers who no doubt have executed many criminals down through the years. These are men, and fear normally doesn't come into the equation. These men are hard as nails. But things are different at the cross that day. It says they feared greatly. And the reason they feared greatly was because they watched Jesus... They saw the earthquake and those things that were done. What he saw. What the centurion saw. What did he see? Well, he saw creation's protest. That's the sun. Remember, the Lord Jesus touched the sun. Remember, at 12 noon, the whole land became dark, pitch black. Creation was protesting the death of Christ. That that supernatural darkness was creation's protest at the murder of its maker. And then the earthquake, the rocks being torn apart. Again, creation was protesting the death of the innocent Lamb of God. Creation's protest. That's what convinced 
the centurion. He realized that the one on the cross was the creator of the universe. And it's good for you to realize that today. Make the connection, please, between Calvary and creation. Some people don't make the connection, therefore they don't understand what the gospel is all about. But the one on the cross was the maker of the universe. He's your creator, by the way. Prophet Isaiah said, woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Don't fight with your maker. Don't, don't resist your creator. If, if he's saying to you today, as you sit in God's house, if he's saying to you to turn to Christ, to become a Christian, you do what he says today. You'll never regret it. But if you do strive with your maker, if you reject his salvation today, I can tell you, you will regret it. Oh, the, the, the centurion, he saw creation's protest at what was happening. Luke twenty three forty seven, the verse we read earlier. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. An innocent man had been put to death. A miscarriage of justice had taken place here. And that's what terrified the centurion and the soldiers that were with him. That that they had nailed to the cross an innocent man, a righteous man. The only righteous man who had ever lived, in fact. And they were responsible for his death. Let me say this this morning. That each one of us are also responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus because it was our sins that nailed him to the cross. And if you haven't yet received Christ as Savior, if you're still in rebellion against him, you ought to be terrified today because God will not hold you guiltless for shedding the blood of his Son. But the amazing thing is, the wonderful truth of the gospel is that if you will turn in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ today, if you will turn to the risen Christ on this Easter Sunday 2023, then the Lord will, will say, you're not guilty. All guilt has been removed because you have closed in with his offer of mercy. Oh, what the centurion saw convinced him that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that Jesus Christ was a righteous man, that this Jesus Christ of Nazareth was able to save him. But let's move on now and think about not only what the centurion saw, but then what he heard, what he heard. Think about the words of Mark 15 and verse 39. Listen to them. Mark 15 and verse 39. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Did you notice those words? When the centurion saw that he so cried out. In other words, when the centurion heard what Jesus cried out from the cross, 
He was convinced. The Holy Spirit clinched it. And the centurion was saved that day at Calvary. Calvary's final convert, we could call him. So what did the centurion hear that day at Calvary? Ah, did he not hear, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The centurion couldn't believe his ears. He and his comrades have just nailed this man to the cross. Every other criminal that they nailed to the cross cursed and swore at the soldiers. He screamed in agony. He offered up oaths against those who were performing the execution. But what is this? This man is praying. And he's not only praying, but he's praying for me. He's praying for the centurion. He's praying for the soldiers. Ah, friends, he was praying for you that day. You put your name in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Father, forgive them. Them people in new buildings. Forgive them, Lord. And that's why anyone is ever saved. It's an answer to the prayer of Jesus Christ. That wonderful prayer at Calvary. Oh, the centurion, he begins to wonder now at this man. He's praying for his enemies. Father, forgive them. Often we, even those of us who are saved, we have to pray, Father, forgive me. But this wonderful man of Calvary, he never had to pray that prayer. But thank God he he could pray, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive a world of lost sinners. What a prayer. And this is the first cry that the centurion heard and it convinced him. Then he heard the Lord Jesus say to the dying thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You notice that he didn't say, Today shalt thou be with me in purgatory. No, there's no talk of purgatory. Or as the reformers called it, pickpocket purgatory. For it was a money-making racket that the Church of Rome had organized There is no purgatory. There is no limbo. There's no in-between state. I want to tell you folks that there's only heaven or hell. And if you don't believe me, then your argument's with the Bible, not with me. Heaven or hell. Now, which is it to be for you? Ah, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Jesus Christ has been preparing it for 2,000 years now, almost. Boy, it must be some place. But then there's hell too. 
You won't hear it mentioned from many pulpits. It's kind of forgotten today. Do you know that there's even a drink today called hell? You can get a soft drink. It's called hell. I tell you, when a soul goes to hell, there are no drinks there. Not even a drop of water to cool the tongue. But of course, the reason why the Lord Jesus died such an excruciating death that first Easter is so that you and me would never end up there. It's really quite simple, folks, but it's, it's quite profound at the same time. And then he heard something else from the lips of this dying one at Calvary. Did he not hear the Lord Jesus speak to his mother? Woman, behold thy son. And then a moment later, speaking to John the Apostle, behold thy mother. The centurion, he's incredulous now. He can't believe this because here's a man who's in the utmost agony. And yet he's thinking of his mother and he's entrusting his mother to his friend. He's, he's compassionate. The centurion had never seen this kind of compassion at any point in his life. Never mind a man hanging upon a cross. He had never seen it at any, uh, he'd never seen a, a, a healthy, able bodied man going about his business showing such compassion. But here's Christ, the crucified Christ, and oh, the compassion. The church today, of course, needs a baptism of compassion. Compassion for one another, for our brothers and sisters. Oh, I need it. I need more of it. We all need more of it. Compassion for our fellow believers. The problem in Ulster today is that you've got, you've got Christians and they're at each other's throats. Boy, World War Three wouldn't be in it. They seem to have forgotten the Lord Jesus and his new commandment, love one another. It's not a feeling, by the way. Please don't wait for the feeling to come, a lovey-dovey feeling, and then love your brother or your sister in Christ. No, it's an action. You just, you just go, and, you go ahead and you help your brother or sister in Christ, whether you have the feeling or not. Now, when you, the, the amazing thing is that when you show that agape love, that sa- sacrificial love to your brother or sister in Christ, it's amazing that the feeling follows when you do the action. Don't, get the, don't put the cart before the horse now. So if we can help a brother or sister in Christ, let's do it. Now, we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. Or put our arm around a shoulder and encourage someone. Oh, the compassion of Christ at the cross. This is what convinced the centurion. Then he hears the Lord Jesus, the middle cry from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Saviour is now becoming the scapegoat. All the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, are being laid on him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I thirst. I thirst. Proof of his humanity. The Lord Jesus cries, I thirst. And all they had for him was vinegar. Vinegar, give him vinegar. Tell me this, are you giving him vinegar today? Happy enough just to be religious, Lord. Happy enough, Lord, just to be good living. But now don't you start talking about all this born again business. Don't you expect me to go to a prayer meeting? That's, that's a step too far. Giving him vinegar. Most people do give him vinegar today. Most people despise him and reject him. He's still the man of sorrows. He's still, as Isaiah 53 puts it, a despised and rejected of men. But maybe there's someone in the service today, you're going to buck the trend. You're going to be like the centurion and you're not going to despise him and reject him any longer. Will you do that today? It is finished. It is finished. The Lord Jesus has completed the work. Redemption's complete. And you can just see the centurion boy, and there's a smile on his face. You can almost hear his brain ticking over. It is finished. Oh, that means I can be saved. It's all been done. It's accomplished salvation, forgiveness. For the filthy life I have lived. I can be a Christian. Oh what music those words must have been to the centurion's ears. It is finished. They should be music to your ears too by the way. The Lord Jesus didn't say I am finished. No he said it is finished. Now he has done it all. And all you have to do today, sinner, is come to him at the end of this Easter service. You can, you can do it even before I finish this message. Backslider, you just need to come back to him today. Just get back to the cross. Come to Christ today. Stay behind after the service. Get the matter sorted out. Bow in prayer as we come to the end of the service or during the closing hymn, and then on the way out you tell us, I have decided to follow Jesus. I want to be like the centurion. And then the last prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed, the last cry from the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You know, folks, that word commend is a banking term. It means to deposit, 
to deposit something of value. Father, into thy hands I deposit something of value. Oh, the value of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God the Father took the Saviour and sent him down into the world to be the Saviour of the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And a deposit was placed on planet earth. The Lord Jesus was withdrawn from the bank of heaven if you like. And he spent 33 years upon the earth. And what an investment that was by the father. And he finished the work of redemption at Calvary. And then as he died, he said, in a sense, if I can paraphrase it, Father, here's the deposit back again. Now's the time for, for, the, the, for the deposit to be withdrawn from planet earth and to be deposited back into the bank of heaven. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Oh, the value of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the one at God's right hand. He's risen today and he's able to meet your need. My Father is omnipotent and that you can't deny. A God of might and miracles, tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace.